We have been in Judges for a long time now, and then in uh, our life group, we were in Judges also, and so they have been getting lots and lots of Judges, lots and lots of Samson, and I think we're all glad to be done with that, to be moving on, and so that's what we're doing. Amen. You didn't have to say that, but I appreciate it. If I was to come up to you and ask you to tell me a little bit about yourself, I wonder what you would say. It's really hard, isn't it? It's hard to put into words who we are. Who am I? I was thinking if you are on social media, if you're on Instagram, they have a a biography section. And you have 150 characters to put who you are. And so I I might would put, I'm I'm a Christian, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor. But is that really who I am? Does that encompass who I am as an individual? I believe that in our world today with social media, we know about so many people, but we really know very few people. Psychologists talk about a personal knowledge and an impersonal knowledge. Personal knowledge is when you really know someone. You know what they like. You know what they don't like. You know where they like to go eat, where they don't like to go eat. You know what their dreams are, what their ambitions are. You know what their fears are. That is a personal knowledge. And there's probably very few people that know you on that deep of a level. But then there is an impersonal knowledge. And that's who we pretend to be on Facebook. That's who we present to the world. That's how we try to portray ourselves, and we look to people and we say, I I know them, they are my friend, and I looked on our Facebook, we don't get on Facebook very often any longer, but we have over 1,200 friends. There's not that many people that even can tolerate me, let alone like me. And so I was looking through the list, and I'm like, man, I don't know hardly any of these people. And I know our account is a shared account, so that's some of the reason. But it's like, I've heard of this person, I'm an acquaintance with this person, but we call them our friends. Or we say, I'm following someone on Twitter, or I'm following someone on Instagram. But, but what does that really mean? What does it really mean to know someone? You see, long before Instagram ever was even dreamed up, The Lord told us who he was, and he used two words. Way back in Exodus, the Lord is talking to Moses, and he's talking through the bush that is on fire, but it's not burning up. That's kind of cool, isn't it? And Moses says, hey, when I go back to Egypt, and they ask, and they say, hey, who is sending you? What am I supposed to say? Remember what the Lord responded with? You tell them that I am sent you. I am. Tell them that I am has sent you. And now in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, Jesus takes that and he begins to build upon it to reveal the character of our Lord and our Savior. In Matthew 16, you remember Jesus is walking with his disciples. And he turns around and he asks the question, who do people say that I am? Remember what they said? Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. And they're guessing. They don't know who Jesus is. They're just speculating. They're guessing. Well, maybe you're, you're like John the Baptist. Maybe you're like Jeremiah. I know you're at least a prophet. I know you're something special. But they really didn't grasp it. They really didn't understand it. They knew about Jesus, 
but they did not know Jesus. And then he turns around, he says, but who do you say that I am? And that's the question. That's the question for me, and that is the question for you. And the answer to that question determines your eternal destiny. Who do you say that Jesus is? And Peter turned, he responded, he said, you're Christ. You are the Son of God. Now, whether you realize that or not, it does not change who Jesus is, but it does change a lot about your life. Jesus is the Son of God regardless of if you believe it or not. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You see what he's saying? He's saying as we look to the face of Jesus we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. As we behold Jesus, as we understand Jesus, as we dive into Jesus, as we love Jesus, we begin to be, the Bible says, transformed. And I love that. That's why I love to preach Jesus. I love to preach Jesus because it, it relates to every one of us. It does not matter where you are spiritually doesn't matter if you're mature spiritually or if you are new to the faith, Jesus relates to you. does not matter if you have lots of money or you have very little money, Jesus relates to you. Jesus is the great equalizer. And Paul says, as we behold the face of Jesus, that is where we are transformed. You're not transformed by your own power. You're not transformed by looking at your own strength and your own weakness. You are transformed by the power of Jesus. Now that leads us to our text tonight, John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and we cannot dive into the I am statement. The I am statement is I am the bread of life, but for the statement to make sense, we have to look at the context. John chapter 6 is building up to this climax to where Jesus proclaims, I am the bread of life. So you'll notice beginning in John chapter 6, in verse 1, we have the story where Jesus feeds the multitude. Now, I, I know you're aware of the story. Jesus is up on this hillside, and the people are coming. There's 5,000 men plus women plus children, so we're probably talking somewhere around 20,000 people. And, and they come to Jesus. Jesus feels compassion. And so the Bible says that Jesus begins to heal their sick and Jesus begins to teach. And he must have been Baptist because he must have preached a long time because they got hungry. They got hungry and they needed something to eat. So the disciples come and they say, Jesus, we've got to send the people away because I don't know if you realize it or not, but it is past supper time. It is time to eat. Everybody is getting really hungry. And Jesus said, well, why don't you go feed them? I said, Lord, we don't have enough food, and we don't have enough money. There's no way that we could feed these people. And the disciple says, hey, I've got this little sack lunch that a boy brought. It's a little bit of bread. It's a little bit of fish. I don't know what we can do with it, but this is what he has, and he offered it up, and so I'm giving this to you. And can you imagine Jesus said, okay, let's pray. Let's bless the meal. And so they pray. Imagine the prayer. Lord, thank you for this, this food that we're about to eat. Thank you for blessing us with this meal. 
I pray you'll bless it to our bodies. Amen. And then he begins to hand it out. And maybe he gives a disciple just a little smidgen of fish and just a little morsel of bread. And he does that. He divides it up by the disciples. And he says, go and feed the crowds. And, and they walk with this little bit of food. And they go to this large crowd and they say, take all you want and pass it down. It's kind of strange, isn't it? That's what they do. And then so the first guy, somehow it multiplies. He has enough. He passes it to the next guy. It multiplies. And it just keeps on going and going and going until the Bible says they picked up 12 basketfuls when it was over. Now, that is an incredible miracle. Imagine being present at that. Imagine seeing what Jesus has done. Now, now look in your Bible at verse 14. You may miss this when you, when you look at the, the story. It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king. They're about to come and force him to be the king. They're going to come and take him. They like what he has to give. They say, this man is special. And so forcefully, they're about to make Jesus the king. And so Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus says, I want no part in this. He goes and finds a secluded mountain and goes to himself. And then we see the, the disciples, they get into a boat and they go out three or four miles into the sea. I don't know if a storm comes, the winds are coming, and so the disciples are on this boat, and they begin to be fearful. They look up in the distance, and they see a figure on the water, and they're afraid. When you're out in the water, usually you don't see something out on the water, right? And so they're afraid. They don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden, they hear a voice, and it says, Ego imi. Ego imi. Now, that is Greek, and what that means is, I am. That's what he said. He said, I am. I am. Do not be afraid. Now, when you go back to the Old Testament, I want you to see this. When you go back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. But early on, there was a Greek translation that's called the Septuagint, and in the Greek translation, back in Exodus, when there's the burning bush, and he says, who should I say is sending me? You know what God says? Egoimi. The same words. He says, I am is sending you. And now Jesus is on the water. He is standing only where God can stand, and he is saying only what God can say. He says, that they're scared on the boat, and he says, I am. Do not be afraid. I am. I am God, do not be afraid. I am standing where only God can stand, do not be afraid. I've got all the power, I control the wind, I control the storm, I can stand on this, so do not be afraid. And I just believe that in that moment, it went off in the disciples' head and they thought about it. I am, well that's what God said in the burning bush. And there's foreshadowing to the great statement that is about to take place. And so now that leads us to verse, where are we here? That leads us to verse 24. To verse 24, and we see three questions, and we see three answers. I'm not sure we'll get to finish all of them, but let's see where we get, okay? Three questions and three answers. 
And so it begins, and it says, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, remember they're looking for him to make him the king, when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat, and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The crowd had completely misunderstood Jesus. They were present for this miraculous feeding but they totally missed the point. And so the crowd finds Jesus, and you will notice they address him as rabbi, good teacher. They're giving him this position. They're giving him this status. And they're saying, rabbi, we know that you are special. Rabbi, we are impressed with you. We are in awe of you. We really believe there is something really extraordinary about you. And they're looking for Jesus, but I want you to notice that Jesus calls out their improper motives. Jesus does not allow the crowd to simply make him a good teacher. Jesus calls out their selfish desires, and he says the source of their seeking, of their seeking is their stomach. In other words, they are seeking Jesus because of what they want. They're seeking Jesus because of their desires. They're seeking Jesus because of their passions. They wanted a king. Remember, they wanted to take the king by force. And so they wanted a king who would come and meet their needs. They wanted a king that would come and kick the Romans out. And when Jesus performed this miracle, they said, he'll do. We'll take him. That sounds good, but they did not want a prophet. They did not want one to come and say, you are a sinner, and you are lost, and you're in a bad spot. You're in a, you are a sinner, and you are in need of a Savior. And so Jesus performs this miracle, and the crowds get excited. This is the man that we want. You see, they like Jesus. And in our world, we... We want to equalize liking Jesus with being a committed follower of Jesus. But they're not the same. There are lots of folks who like Jesus. There are lots of folks who are in awe of Jesus. There are lots of folks who will say, Rabbi, you are a great teacher. There are lots of folks who want to be around Jesus, but there are not lots of folks who will sacrifice for Jesus. There are not lots of folks who are committed to Jesus. There are not lots of folks who will change their life because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have all these, these preachers on TV, and they say, if you will come to Christ, your life, and they smile real big, your life your life will be so great, and you will have so much money if you give to my program. You'll have so much wealth, and you'll be healthy, and your family will be healthy, and you'll have all this prosperity. Problem is, that's not in the Bible. In fact, the opposite is in the Bible. When you follow Jesus, it's likely going to get really tough. 
Sometimes I think the way that we approach Jesus is like the UPS man. Now follow me. Have you ever had a package that you were really excited about? Maybe you shop on Amazon. Maybe you go online and you shop. I remember several years back, I ordered my guitar online. And so my guitar was coming, and it was coming on Christmas Eve. I was using Christmas money, and I was excited. My guitar was coming in. And so the guitar was supposed to arrive on Christmas Eve before noon. And so that day I'm home, and what I'm doing, I'm sitting in front of the window. You ever do that? I'm watching, waiting for that brown truck to come into my driveway. And so I'm thinking like 8 o'clock, he's going to be coming, but he doesn't come. 9 o'clock, I'm still sitting there waiting, he doesn't come. 10 o'clock, he still hadn't come. 11.15, I see that brown truck. Oh, I am excited. He pulls in the driveway. Before he puts it in the park, I am right outside his little door. And I'm waiting on him. And he, he kills it, and he goes to the back. He grabs my box, and he brings it out to me, and he hands it to me. And I say thanks, and I take my box, and I go inside, and family's all there. They're watching my excitement, you know, and I open the box, and I start getting the guitar out. You know, I was excited about the guitar, but I was not excited about the UPS man. The UPS man was simply the delivery agent. He's simply the man that brought what I wanted. I didn't get his name. I didn't talk to him. I didn't say, how is your day going? I didn't wish him a Merry Christmas. I just wanted the package that he was delivering to me. All I wanted was the goodies. And I think there's a lot of ways that that is what we do with Jesus. Now, we like to see Jesus come, and we like to talk about what Jesus brings, And we like to talk about eternity, and we like to talk about heaven, and we like to talk about the blessings of Jesus. But if we're honest, there may be times that it's not about Jesus, it's just about what Jesus brings to us. It's not about Jesus, it's just the blessings that he brings to our life. You want to know what heaven is? Heaven is Jesus. That's what heaven is. Heaven is Jesus. If you could have heaven and you could have everything you could imagine that heaven would be, all the glories that your mind could even begin to conceive, but Jesus was not there, it would not be heaven. Heaven is Jesus. But there's so many times that Jesus is just the means to the end, and we just want what Jesus has to give us. And so that's what the crowd is. They say, man, he made food from no food. This man's got power. We need him on our side. Let's go and let's find him and let's force him to be our king. Now look what goes next. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Notice the reference to signs. You know what signs do? You go and you get on interstate and you're headed to Dallas. And it says, 100 miles to Dallas. And then you drive for what seems like 20 minutes and it says, 98 miles to Dallas. You know what the sign does? The sign simply points to something. That's all a sign does. A sign points to something. The sign is nothing, but the sign points to something. 
The sign says, you're on the right path. You're on the right direction. Look this way. This is the way that you need to go. And so he says, you saw the signs. The bread, what was the bread? The bread was just a sign. It wasn't about the bread. The bread was a sign to point to Jesus. The bread was the sign to say, this is the Messiah. Look at the power. But you're so interested in the sign, you're missing what the sign is pointing to. It's not about the sign. It's about the destination. And Jesus is the destination. But they're getting trapped by the bread, which is simply the sign. You see, Jesus wants total commitment out of our life. You you realize this? Jesus is not just thrilled that you're here tonight. Now, I am, but Jesus is not. We think that Jesus is all about just bringing in so many people. But when we see in the Bible, when a lot of people come up, Jesus makes really hard statements. And at that point, he says, hey, are you really in this for me? Are you really a true, dedicated follower? It's not about the crowds. It's not about just making sure so many people come and so many people show up. Jesus wants to build true, dedicated followers. And so the crowd is okay with Jesus when he does what they want him to do. But when his demands seem too high, we're going to see that they just leave. They leave Jesus. They've had enough. And so here's the question. What is your motivation Why do you do what you do? You're the folks that are here on a Sunday night. Most churches don't even have Sunday night worship because people will not come. People would look at you and they'd say, man, you are so committed. You are so surrendered. Why did you come tonight? What's your motivation? Why do you do what you do? Many of you, you serve in different capacities. And some of those capacities are not much fun. But you serve anyway. Why do you do it? You work with kids. You work with wild kids. You drive a bus. You take up the offering. You sing in the choir. You teach a small group. You study all week. You prepare. Why do you do what you do? Many of you, you you tithe and you give so generously. And I know you've got things that you want. I know you've got desires. But yet you, you faithfully give for the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, why do you do it? What is your motivation? You sacrifice time every week to open up the Word of God and to study it and to dive into it. Why do you do what you do? What is your motivation for following Jesus? You say, well, what does it matter? Oh, it matters. It matters. Imagine this, and this is a fake story. I wish it was a real story, honey, but it's not. But let's, let's imagine that this week I go by and I, I get two dozen long stem roses. So I go home and find Brittany and I've got these roses behind my back and I come in and I say, honey, I got these for you and we're going to go out tonight. We're going to have a good time together. And she looks at me and she says, oh, what in the world made you do something so sweet? And let's say I said, well, as your husband, I just feel like this is my job. I feel like I have an obligation to buy you roses. And I was reading the manual. I read in this magazine like the manual for a good husband. 
And it told me that a good husband should bring home roses every now and again. And so that's why I brought these to you. Now, I know my wife. That would have just blown the goodness of the roses. But let's rewind and let's do it over. Let's say I come home and I've got the roses. And I say, I want us to go out tonight and have a good time. And she responds, well, honey, why did you do this? That's so sweet. And I say, baby, I, I love you so much. You are so beautiful. And there's nothing that makes me happier than to spend time with you. I just want to be with you. I want us to spend time together. And so that's why I brought these. Bingo. That's a good spot. You see, the motivation matters. The reason that we do things, it matters. The reason that we follow Jesus, the reason that we come and we worship, the reason that we do all the things that we do, it matters. And and it may be that we're following the Lord, but our motives are not pure. And maybe that we're following the Lord, but it's, it's because we've got this deal with the Lord. Now, we wouldn't say it, but it's almost like we've got this deal with the Lord that we say, Lord, if I come to church faithfully, and if I give a little bit of money, and if I try to be a good person, then I expect you, God, I expect you to make sure that my family's healthy. And I expect you to make sure that my job goes well, And I expect you to to guard my marriage and lead my kids. And so, God, I've got this contract with you. I've got this deal with you. And as long as I do my part, then, God, I expect you to do your part. Now, we wouldn't say that, but for a lot of us, that's how we think. And that's why when it talks about the parable of the sower, it talks about the little bush that comes up, but when the sun comes out and it gets hot, it dies away. And it's talking about those who say they follow the Lord, but the first moment of difficulty, the first moment of hardship, they're done. They're done, and the reason they're done is because they say, God did not honor our deal. We had a deal, but somebody got sick. We had a deal, but somebody lost a job. We had a deal, and God was supposed to be my delivery man, and God was supposed to be my Santa Claus, and God was supposed to make sure and meet my needs. But when God did not meet my needs the way I think he should meet my needs, then I am out of here, and I'm done. And there are many who are following Jesus, but they're following for the wrong reasons. They're not following for Jesus. They're following for the blessings. And so look, let's move on just real quickly. The answer is the answer of purpose. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Did you catch it? Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures into eternal life. The crowd could not see it, and they did not understand it. The crowd was focused on the temporal. The crowd was focused on what was right in front of them. The crowd was focused on what was fleeting. And they missed the Son of Man. He says, don't work for food that perishes. Work for that which never dies. Work for that which never goes away. It's in comparison to John chapter 4 when he says, a well of water springing into eternal life. Remember when he talks about the living water? 
Same thing he's saying here. Jesus condemns their motivation, and then he provides what they should be seeking after. And so it leads to the question, what is this eternal food? What is the eternal food that he's talking about? Well, let me remind you of the temporal food. Remember in the Old Testament, what would come from the heavens? Manna. Beautiful sign. I mean, amazing. Imagine, lunch was falling from the sky. All right. But the next day, they were still hungry, right? Imagine on that hillside as they pass out the bread and the fish, and they eat and they stuff themselves. You ever been to a Baptist potluck? You ever see the folks at the front of the line, and they come up with a plate, and it's like heaping over? And you're in the back of the line, and you're thinking, oh, Lord, I hope there's some left when I get to the front. I mean, these, these Baptists, they are just pigging out on it, but yet there's more, and there's more, and there's more, and they eat until they cannot eat anymore. They eat until they are stuffed, but still, the next day, what happens? They're hungry. They still need more. They still need more food. They still need something to satisfy them. The Israelites still died in the desert, and those beside Jesus, they still went hungry. And the same is true today. We all want bread. We all need bread. We all need that which nourishes. We all need that which satisfies. We all want that which pleases us. And now, for us, it may not be physical bread. Okay, In this day, their security came from bread. And so they would be going through and they need bread to be secure. For me and you, we probably don't need bread to feel secure. We've got a pantry full, a refrigerator full. So maybe it's something else. Maybe for us, our bread is our job. And as long as I've got my job, then I feel secure and I feel satisfied. But you take the job away, I'm in trouble. Maybe for some of us, it's an account. It's an investment account. It's a retirement account. And because of that account, I feel secure and I feel satisfied. Maybe you get your worth and your value. What sustains you is a relationship. And so as long as you've got that relationship, then you feel secure and you feel satisfied. But what Jesus comes and says, all of these things, they die. All of these things are short-lived. All the things that you're trying to find satisfaction through, all the things that you're trying to be sustained by and through, they do not last So work for the food that is eternal. Work for the food that does not go bad. Work for the food that does not die. These things are temporal, and you need to focus on what is everlasting. Because haven't you seen that the things of the world just do not satisfy? Somebody say amen. You you felt that, haven't you? You get a new car, and you're so excited about it. You park like three miles out. You make sure nobody comes up and dings your door. But within two years, you want another new car. You get a new phone or some piece of technology. And within the next year, that phone doesn't do near the stuff that the new phones do. You get a new house. You think, man, this house is great. I'm going to be happy in this house. Then you start having all these kids. And you say, I need a new house. Then you have a kid seven years later. And you say, I need more room. It doesn't satisfy. 
Nothing the world has to offer will satisfy. Nothing will fill that spot. Nothing will fill that void. You can chase after everything in the sun, but you're going to find that as, as you get up to it, it vanishes. And you've got to go for something else, and then it will vanish. And you've got to go to something else, and then it will vanish. And the only thing that will satisfy you is the bread of life. And so Jesus goes, we're going to skip to it. We're going to come back later at some point. But the answer, look at verse 25. We've got to close up for, for tonight. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, I am the one who sustains you. I am the one who will satisfy you. Listen to me, believer. Find your satisfaction in Jesus. Find your joy in Jesus. This is, if you ever listen to John Piper, this is his whole ministry right here. He talks about Christian hedonism. It talks about that God is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. The point that my satisfaction in life, it does not come from the world. It does not come from my job, my bank account, my relationship, my kids, my spouse. My satisfaction comes from Jesus. It comes from Jesus. So when everything else around me begins to go different ways, I've still got Jesus. And when Jesus is everything to me and to you, that's when we can truly worship our Lord and Savior. But we cannot truly worship when we are trying to find our, our satisfaction and our sustenance and everything that the world has to offer. It just doesn't work that way. He wants us to be totally committed to following him. So I want to ask you to close your eyes, and I want you to think about your life. Really, one main point tonight, what is your motivation? Why do you do the things that you do? Is it because of what Jesus will give you, or is it because of Jesus? Is it because you want the blessings of Jesus, or is it because you want Jesus? Jesus. 